you in Christ's name. Amen. As much as I love a good Advent slash Christmas devotional, and maybe you do too, uh, as, lo- as much as I love a good devotional for this time of year, uh, for personal times of reflection, the most meaningful times I've experienced during this holiday season have been in the context of celebrating Advent with our children. We've tried many things over the years, different resources and and different formats with our kids as they were growing up, but all of them, and they can attest to this, all of them had one thing in common. They were all grounded in and glorified the Word of God, right? You can buy a Lego Advent calendar. (laughs) You can buy a Harry Potter (laughs) Advent calendar But you're not going to get any meat in that diet, right? (laughs) You're you're not. It's going to be a lot of fluff and kind of just a countdown clock, basically. But these resources that we were using, that we sought out, were grounded in and they glorified God's Word. It was a true blessing. What a blessing it was to walk in a fun, an age-appropriate way through the relevant scriptures with our kids showing them even how the prophecies about the Messiah were fulfilled in Bethlehem on that first Christmas. It was awesome. What a joy. I think all of us recognize that there's a connection between kids and Christmas, don't we? We recognize that. We see it all around us. Maybe some of you even now are still thinking about that special gift that you want to get for your child. Or if you don't have kids this Christmas then you were a kid at Christmas, weren't you? You were a kid at Christmas. We get that connection. Well, this morning, I'd like us to keep that connection in mind as we look together at one of the passages that we went through this past week in our Bible reading plan. It's Exodus chapter 12, verses 24 through 27. Exodus 12, 24 through 27. So look there, turn there if you haven't already. This is what Moses conveys. Listen to what Moses conveys to the elders of Israel in their final hours as slaves in Egypt. This is what he tells them. Verse 24. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord, that Yahweh will give you, As he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of Yahweh's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Let me encourage you this morning. Let me encourage you with what I believe is the larger lesson here, a bigger lesson highlighted by this passage right here. And you're going to see it here on the screen. This is that lesson. God's redeemed people are called to be redeemed parents 
as well. God's redeemed people are called to be redeemed parents as well. As is clear from verse 25, Moses is speaking here about a time in the future. Do you see that? It's a time in the future when the Hebrews will have returned to the land of Canaan. That's the context. It's the land that God had promised to their fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. And he's speaking about a time when their redemption from slavery will in fact be a past event. It'll be accomplished. Hasn't been accomplished now when he's speaking, but it's in process, isn't it? It's happening. He's talking about a time when their redemption will be complete. In the same way, given that, in the same way, for those of us here this morning who are disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, who are born-again believers, who are genuine Christians, we are God's redeemed people. Our redemption from slavery is also a past event. We see it in the rearview mirror, don't we? It's, it's done. So like those who were addressed by Moses in these verses, we, as those redeemed by God's grace, are also called to be redeemed parents. We are called to be redeemed parents. That's clear from a number of New Testament verses. One of the clearest is found in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Take a look. We read in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Guys, that's our default many times, isn't it? That's our default. We have to acknowledge that. Even the most gentle guy. <laughs> yeah, we can exacerbate things. We can get worked up. We can try to get our way and compel behavior by raising our voice or threatening or whatever. Do not provoke your children to anger, he tells us fathers. But bring them up. Right? Nurture them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's where our eyes should be focused. That's whose example we follow. Not my discipline and instruction. The discipline and instruction of the Lord. So fathers are addressed here. Why just fathers? Because they're leaders in their home. Right? But we know that the discipline and instruction being described here would have included both parents. Paul knew that a verse like, Proverbs chapter 1 verse 8 spoke not only of a father's instruction, but also of forsaking not your mother's teaching. Right? That would have been the Jewish perspective. He would have understood that. The discipline instruction. Both parents work together in this way to bring this instruction to their children. As an example of, just, of this fact, just think about the influence of the two women Paul mentions in these verses, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois. Shout out to all the grandmas out here, out there, right? And your mother, Eunice. And now I am sure, brother Timothy, it dwells in you as well. But we could ask, what did Timothy's mother's faith, what did his grandmother's faith look like in the everyday? Well, we know one answer to that is in the same letter, jump over two chapters in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, it says this. But as for you, Timothy, writes Paul, continue in what you have learned 
and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. You know who was doing that. Book of Acts tells us that Timothy's father was a Gentile. You know who was acquainting Timothy with the sacred writings. Mom and grandma. Praise God for those women, right? Praise God for their faithfulness, those women. Because those writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in, in Christ Jesus. Just as we talked about all of the pictures and the prophecies that point us to Christ in the Old Testament, bringing us to Him. So the word-centered ministry of fathers and mothers, and even grandparents, yes, is an example of what it means to be a redeemed parent. A redeemed parent. So when we are set apart, brothers and sisters, by God's redeeming work. What does redeem mean? It's a, it's a word we throw around a lot. We were watching a movie the other night, um, and redemption was a big key theme uh, of this movie. Uh, what does redemption mean? It means to buy out of slavery, to buy out of bondage, right? It's a, being pay, a ransom is paid to redeem someone. That's the picture here. They're being redeemed from their slavery. So this redeeming work, that when we are set apart by God's redeeming work, there is a profound way we know from the New Testament as well, in which our children are set apart as well. Right? When you are redeemed, your children are set apart in a distinct way, according to 1 Corinthians 7, 14. This is where Paul speaks about the effect of a Christian spouse on his or her unbelieving partner. Look what it says. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. Oh, that sounds weird. Unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Now, that's not talking about a sanctification that saves. Just because you are saved by God, it doesn't mean automatically that your spouse gets saved, right, by osmosis, like, you, like it's contagious and they just catch it or something. No, 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 it's not talking about a, a sanctification that saves. It's talking about a sanctifying influence. The sanctifying influence that you, even if you are a parent here this morning or a parent listening online, and you don't have a believing spouse, you bring a sanctifying influence to that relationship, and you bring a sanctifying influence to your children. That's what Paul's talking about here. So brother or sister, my question to you is this. If you recognize that God has called you to be a redeemed parent, really no matter the age of your children, if he's called you to be a redeemed parent, then how would you describe your sanctifying influence? What's your sanctifying influence look like? Or we might ask, what does it look like to be a redeemed parent? Well, our, our passage here in Exodus 12 is going to help us answer that question by, by pointing us to some biblical principles that I think will be very encouraging to you and very instructive. Let's take a look at this passage again. First, think about this. Number one, think about the faith of a redeemed parent in their work. The faith of a redeemed parent in their work. 
I'm not trying to exclude, I don't want to exclude because this should be involved as well, a person's job or profession, vocation, your workplace. But that's not what I mean by the word work here. I'm thinking of a bigger idea of work. It's the idea of doing God's work. That is, a redeemed parent is involved in tangible ways in the work of the Lord. Do you believe that? A redeemed parent is involved in tangible ways in the work of the Lord. Is that because they're a redeemed parent? No, it's because they're redeemed. Make sense? (laughs) It's because you're redeemed that you're involved in the work of the Lord. This is how Paul encouraged every follower of Christ. I love these verses. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable sisters, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Is that directed to the leaders of the church? No. It's directed to every believer in Corinth. Right? And you are called to be involved in the work of the Lord. And you can do that with great assurance and encouragement that your efforts are never in vain. Because God is with us, Emmanuel. We can be encouraged by that beautiful fact and abound in the work of the Lord. So how does this connect to our main text from Exodus chapter 12? Look back at verses 24 and 25. Moses is speaking here about observing this rite as a statue and keeping this service. What does that mean? Well, the rite and the service that he's referring to here are, the, it's the Passover And the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's what the first 23 verses of this chapter are talking about. It's instructions about how and why to keep the Passover and the seven-day Feast of Unleavened Bread that would culminate in Passover. So, that's what we see here. Yahweh is communicating the importance of this through Moses. Look at verse 14, if you would. Jump up to verse 14. He says, this day shall be for you, this is God speaking, this day shall be for you a memorial day. That is a day, a day where you remember, a day of remembrance. And you shall keep it as a feast. This is a holiday for you. This is a feast day to Yahweh. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. This is not a one and done Right? This is not just three generations. This is each and every Hebrew-Israelite generation. They would go back and they would remember a memorial day. They would remember why they were doing this. But is this relevant for us as Christians? You're probably asking yourself, we're not celebrating the Passover, are we? Actually, we are. Jesus kept Passover, didn't he? And when Jesus kept Passover on the night before his crucifixion, he did something miraculous, something amazing. He pointed us to the fullness of that feast. He revealed the fullness of that feast. And he revealed that that fullness was only found in him. In his blood, not that of an ancient animal in Egypt long ago. His blood. So as a, dev- uh, as a devout Jew as Paul was, he would later proclaim this. Look at this simple statement. It's amazing. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. 
Can, do you know what it would take for a Jew to make this kind of statement? <laughs> to say that the Messiah is the Passover lamb. Paul connected the dots. God connected the dots for Paul. He understood. He understood how Christ had breathed in to that meal with his disciples this fullness, uh, revelation of what he was doing. So part of the relevance of this passage for us as Christians is connected to our regular observance of the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. In one clear sense, we keep Passover when we celebrate that table. We are celebrating the fullness of the Passover. But even more basic than that, in terms of relevance for us as Christians, even more basic than that, is that our passage, Exodus 12, is built on the simple premise that those listening to Moses would actually do what God said. Stunning, right? <laughs> to actually do what God said. That's what this is built on, this idea. They're going to do what God had said. They would obey God. They would actually live in light of his will. So parents, redeemed parents, do your children see you living each day in light of God's will? Do they see you engaged in the work of the Lord? Now, now look where that starting point, that's a starting point, right? Because it's not first about you as a redeemed parent, it's first about you as redeemed. That you live, not for yourself any longer, but for him who died for you. Bought by Christ, you live for him. You're engaged in the work of the Lord. But look at where it takes us. We also see in this passage number two, the faith of a redeemed parent in their words. The faith of a redeemed parent in their words. As a mother and or father is doing what God has called them to do, they will inevitably encounter the very scenario described in verse 26. Look at it. Do you see what's happening there in verse 26? When your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? In mo modern parlance, why are you doing this? <laughs> Why are you doing what you're doing? Explain. Uh, what, what does this even mean? Right? This is what they're asking. We know passages like Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. We know that those passages assume that Christians in general will be asked questions about their faith. That's just part of the Christian life. If you're going to live for Christ in this world, be prepared, the scriptures tell us, to answer questions about your faith. Because it, it will generate questions, won't it? If that's true, then you can be sure that your own children, those who actually live in the same house as you, those who are closest to you, you can be sure that they're going to ask questions as well. When they see you living, as we talked about in point number one. They're going to ask questions about your faith-informed lifestyle. Consider again, consider again the answer that we find in verse 27. It's very helpful. Look at verse 27. This is the answer concerning observance of the Passover feast. Let's begin in verse 26. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Why are you doing this? You shall say, 
It is the sacrifice of Yahweh's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. Now, what strikes you about that response? What do you see there? Look at that response. First of all, I hope that when you see that response in in verse 27, I hope you see that that response is based on what God has communicated. You see that? Pretty simple observation. It's what God said to them, and they're passing on the information. If the kid comes to you, Moses is saying, no. If the kid comes to you and asks what you're doing, don't say, well, you know what? We were in Egypt, and like... All of them died, and like, we didn't die, and I guess we just got lucky. Like, (laughs) that's not, you know, that's not what he's saying. He wants them to pass along what God did. The understanding of what happened according to God's revelation. They were to communicate the truth according to what God had revealed, that God had spared them by his mercy, by his grace through a sacrifice, through the blood brushed right on the, on the lintel of the door, on the post of the door. He wanted them to understand it. Second thing I want you to notice about this response in verse 27 is that it, it's ultimately about his mercy. It's ultimately about his compassion. It's ultimately about God's grace. But it's also about his justice and his power and all of it resulting in salvation. So as New Testament believers, we would describe this as gospel-centered, wouldn't we? This is a gospel-centered response in verse 27. What does this mean for you, redeemed parent? What does this mean for you? It means that you have been given the responsibility and privilege, privilege of communicating the words of God to your children, but you do so ultimately with an eye to the gospel, right? Not just fill them full of facts, but use those facts to point them to the grace of God. Help them understand their own heart and their need for a Savior, just like you understood when you first came to Christ. What a responsibility. What a privilege. And please know, is, I mean, this is a wonderful privilege, isn't it? But it's also daunting. Let's be honest, this is very daunting, isn't it? To think about this responsibility and this privilege. But please know this, that God is with you and he wants to empower you for that work. Why would he not want to empower you? It's his design, isn't it? It's his great joy to see our children come to understand these truths. So he wants to empower you and he, he, this is the calling that he has for you. And please know this, that this calling by God for you as a redeemed parent is simply one more way in which God wants you personally to think carefully and biblically about why you do what you do. Do you get that? He wants to call you to be a certain kind of parent, but in that he's actually ministering to you. He's actually calling you to stop and say, hey, 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 slow down. I see you doing 10 or 15 different things here, my son or my daughter. God says, 
But why are you doing those things? Why are you doing what you're doing? This causes us to stop and have to answer that question, doesn't it? And say, yeah, this is why I'm doing it. I hadn't thought about it. I've just been doing it. I've just been in the groove. I've just been, it's just been happening. Or to stop and say, you know what? I'm doing this for the wrong reasons. I, I, this is mechanical for me. It's become meaningless, right? My motives aren't right. I'm not looking to God in this. So this is God's ministry to us as well as we minister to our kids. Speaking to our kids about God's great salvation is meant to drive us back to the Word so that we might be encouraged as we seek to encourage our children. Don't you love that? God is so good to minister to us in that way. But please remember this. Please remember the order of the verses here in Exodus chapter 12. I'm afraid there are some Christians who have defined faithfulness according to verse 27 but have neglected the verses leading up to verse 27. That is, they have prided themselves on communicating truth to their children. Do you see this new book I got? Do you see our family devotionals? Do you see my new curriculum? Do you see such and such and such and such and such? And they pride themselves in these things, but have failed to sincerely, authentically live out that truth in meaningful ways before the eyes of their children. Brothers and sisters, that is not what it means to be a redeemed parent. That is not faithfulness. Please don't be deceived, parent. Children are excellent at spotting hypocrisy. Don't think they don't see that. They do. They see hypocrisy. If there is a disconnect between what you preach and what you practice, they will know. They may not talk about it, but it will affect them down the road. Right? It will affect them down the road. I'm not talking about honest struggle as parents. Every parent struggles. You will. It's part of the, part of the race that we run. I'm not talking about honest struggle. I'm talking about self-deceived hypocrisy. That's what we're talking about. Sincere struggle that drives us to God can be incredibly instructive for our kids when they see us living out our faith in front of them. That's not what I'm talking about. Let me say this. Let's take that same dynamic regarding what we preach and what we practice. Let's, let's kind of spin it in a positive direction here. When you walk the talk, parents... When you walk the talk, when you live out the lessons that you are passing on to your kids, you are, according to Scripture, engaged in a powerful witness for Christ. That's what's exciting. You are engaged when you do that in a powerful witness for Christ and His gospel. In the words of Titus 2.10, you are adorning, you are beautifying the doctrine of God our Savior. When your life matches up with the lesson that you're passing along. So remember that order of the verses that we have here. But again, all of this is driven by the reality that we are redeemed parents because we are first God's redeemed people. We can't lose sight of that order. 
Our parenting should be the overflow of that wondrous reality and overflow characterized by love, by gratitude, by humility and sincerity. It shouldn't be surprising to us when you read the Old Testament. It shouldn't be surprising to us that the greatest commandment in all of Scripture, the greatest commandment to love God with what? All your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, Deuteronomy 6, 5, is followed by these words immediately. And these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. Authenticity. Sincerity as a parent. The next words, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. What does that mean? Live out your faith every day. Live out your faith. Not first as a redeemed parent, but as God's redeemed child. And then you will fulfill what it means to be God's redeemed parent, diligently teaching your children. And that, friends, brings us to a final point about being a redeemed parent. We also see here, take a look, the faith of a redeemed parent in their worship. The faith of a redeemed parent in their worship. Talked about in their works in their work, the work of the Lord, in their words, as we see here, but also in their worship. Don't you love how this passage ends? I love verse 27. As the Hebrews listening to Moses are reminded of the profound and the powerful of the awesome, or we might say awe-inspiring thing that God is about to do, we are told that the people responded this way. They bowed their heads and worshiped. Can you imagine having a, knowing that you're going to have a front row seat on what's about to happen? And they already knew part of it because they had already been through nine of these plagues, rained down upon the mighty superpower that was Egypt, the, 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 the one who claimed to be an incarnation of the god Horus, Pharaoh. They, they'd seen these people brought to their knees. And now God is doing something huge powerful. They bow their heads and they worship. Moses was addressing soon-to-be-redeemed Israelites, soon-to-be-redeemed parents. And their response to God's revelation is what? It's humility and worship. That's the response, humility and worship. This is such an important reminder for us parents, fellow parents, beyond our preaching and our practice, right? Beyond the work and the words, our kids will ultimately identify that which is most important to us. Again, they see and they will know what is most important to you. They will identify and they will pinpoint what you extol, that which you adore, your guiding influence, your overall focus, your passion. They will see it and they will know it. Sadly, it is possible, of course, we know from Scripture and we know from personal experience. It is possible to be busy with religious things, with Christian things, but to do so without humility 
and in the service of idols. Our churches are filled with people doing things without humility and in the service of idols, not the true God. That sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? But we know it's true. We know it from Scripture. And any of us who have been in the church for any matter of time know it's true as well. And many times the people that we're talking about are us. Even your pastor falling into that very trap. Lacking humility and serving idols while claiming to serve God. Boy, we need Jesus, don't we? Boy, we need his grace. And what a joy to stand in that grace. And so we know that children will see what is most important to us. But when we are simply seeking Christ on a daily basis, right, don't obsess about being the right kind of parent. Put your focus on a daily basis on Christ, right? When you're seeking him, struggles and all, when you're seeking him, when we are transformed by his word and those encounters with him, empowered by his spirit, when we are walking humbly in light of the gospel of grace, when we are allowing faith to express itself in love through us to all people, especially our spouse and our children, when we regularly bow our heads and worship before such a gracious God, even if we struggle with the how and when of redeemed parenting, we will be used by God in the lives of our children. Guaranteed. I guarantee you, if that is happening in your life, you will be used in the life of your child. You will. I can't tell you how God's going to work that out, but you can know that your labor is not in vain. Your labor in Christ is not in vain. Listen to the worshipful dedication. Listen to the God-glorifying commitment of redeemed parenting as expressed in Psalm 78, verses 3 through 8. Imagine God's people singing out with all their heart, singing these words as they celebrate. Things, as they celebrate, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. That generation was faithful to them. To pass along the truth. These things that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. The children of our fathers. That's us. We will not hide them from our children, their children. But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of Yahweh. What worship. What worship here. And, and we're going to tell them of his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob. And he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. That's what we're talking about right here. The psalmist is going back to Exodus. He did this that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and they might arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God. Isn't that wonderful? You can hear everything we're talking about this morning wrapped up in that praise, right? Being sung in that song. A people committed to living their lives and committing their words and, and using their worship 
to point the children to God. Why? That their hope might be in him. So powerful, so beautiful. In closing this morning, listen, I think it's helpful, number one, it's helpful to know that this when your child asks you, like we see here in, in Exodus 12, this scenario described by our main text is not unique in the Old Testament. This is not a one-off. It's also found in the next chapter, Exodus 13, verse 8, right? When your child asks you, tell your child such and such. It's found in uh, verses 11 through 15 of the next chapter, Exodus 13. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 20 through 25. It's found in Joshua chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. So it appears regularly enough that we as parents, it should get our attention to say, What's God saying to me here? <laughs> what does God want His people to know about being this kind of parents? One thing, well, this is also a good reminder, uh, not only for parents, but children, teenagers. Children, are you listening to me? <laughs> Kids, listen. This is also a great reminder, a passage like this from God's Word. God is encouraging you, children. He's encouraging you to ask your parents questions about their faith. It's okay to do so. In fact, it's more than okay. It's wonderful if you do so. If you ask mom and dad about why they believe what they believe, you ask them about why they do certain things in their faith that they do, if you ask them about the struggles that they've faced as believers, you can ask them about those questions. And if they give you any guff, you come to Pastor Bryce next Sunday, okay? And I will set up a home visitation, and we will have a good conversation, pastor and brothers and sisters in your house. So you guys ask mom and dad questions. I believe they're excited to have you ask them questions. I believe they want that for you. It's wonderful to do so. So don't be afraid to ask even hard questions, kids, okay? What's even more wonderful, parents, is knowing that as we strive and we struggle in our redeemed parenting, we have a heavenly Father who is doing the same with us. He is always at work bringing His Word and doing so to inspire true worship. He's doing that with you, parents. He's your parent, right? We are redeemed parents because we have a redeeming parent. True? We are redeemed parents because we have a redeeming parent with a capital P. And that should make all the difference, shouldn't it? It should give you assurance and encouragement. We have a redeeming parent. We are not alone in what God has called us to do. And because of Christ, because of Jesus Christ, because this is the sacrifice of Yahweh's Passover, Christ our Passover lamb, there is both forgiveness for our failings and there is power for our parenting ambitions. That is good news. That is wonderful news. I love as Paul prayed for the Thessalonians. Take a look. He said, may God fulfill every resolve, every ambition, every plan for good that you have, and every work of faith by his power. Kind of an obscure prayer, but man, it's so good. Pray this. 
Pray this for yourself as a parent. Pray for the parents around you. I pray you know God as your father this morning. If you do not know God as your father, reach out to him in faith. Receive everything that he has for you in Jesus. And if you're not a parent, right? If you're not a parent or not yet a parent, would you pray in light of these truths for the parents in your life? Right? So this is a great, if you say, well, this, this message doesn't apply to me. Oh, it does. <laughs> because it helps you pray for the parents around you. And guess what? If you'd like to be a parent at some point in your life, take notes now. Start now in thinking through what kind of parent you will be. Some of you came from hard places. and You didn't have parents who did any of this in your life. Or you had parents who tried to do some of this, but, but it, it veered toward hypocrisy most of the time. A lot of talk, little walk. Well, this is a great reminder to you that it's not how it should have been. And that God is offering you a chance now to say, hey, I want to be a different parent according to his design in my life. So if you're not a parent, pray for parents. And if you are a parent, then would you pray with me? And would you ask him this morning for the heart that's described in our main passage this morning? That, that heart that we see there, a heart fully committed to this goal. And we'll borrow the language of Psalm 78. This is the goal. That the next generation might know. That the next generation might know. Yes, at Christmas time. Yes, at Christmas, but all throughout the year. And what should inform a heart like that? What really, what really feeds a heart like that? I like how Exodus 13.8 puts it. You can scan over there in your Bible if you want. Exodus 13.8. What informs a heart like that? This simple idea. Exodus 13.8. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.